what happens when two strangers who love history meet online. They start a podcast, of course. Welcome to Muses of History. Women's history for busy people. We are your hosts, Taylor. And I'm Taya. And today we have, surprise, surprise, another woman from history. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> I know, right? So today we are traveling to Japan, where Ooh. I currently am right now. But is it this time? It's past Japan. It's past Japan. <laughs> so I was not here during past Japan. <laughs> I didn't know. I wasn't even born yet because we're going way back. How far back? Pretty far back. Is this the farthest like, we've gone so like far? Okay, back. so this is like in the middle of the other episodes. In the middle. So yeah, Artemisia, she is the farthest mm-hmm. we've gone back so far. And I think she might be the farthest one Plan. back I think, that we're going. I think you're right. In this season. Yeah. Yes. So now we're time traveling forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're in Japan. (laughs) We're in Japan. We're in the 1800s. And we are talking about Takeko. Nope. No. Is that her name? (laughs) Yasano. (laughs) We're talking about Yosano Akiko. Yosano Akiko. She is. I want to say that loud. Yes. Yosano Akiko. She is a famous poet. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of famous. We'll talk about it. And uh, as I was doing research for this episode, I – it was this morning, like right before we were going to record, when I turned to my husband, Rin, who is Japanese, and I was like, hey – have you ever heard of Yosano Akiko? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And then proceeded to tell me all of this information about her. And I was like, why didn't I just ask you? Should he be doing the episode then? <laughs> he should definitely be doing the episode and not me. He's like going to listen like, oh my God, these people are stupid. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right, exactly. Her pronunciation is shit. No, uh, he did help me with uh, some of the pronunciation. Oh, that's really I do nice. speak Japanese, but yeah, he... Uh, it's hard when you are speaking English and then say a Japanese word because your mouth is in a different position. Ah. It's weird. So what was going on in Japan during her time or when she was born? Do we know? So let us begin. So in her early life, Yosano Akiko was born into a wealthy merchant family. And they sold one of my favorite Japanese snacks called yokan. And it sounds disgusting. It's a jellified sweet bean block. Sweet bean block. Sweet beans. Okay. Block. It's a block of jellified sweet beans. Like jello. Bean jello. Is that what it is? It's it's like hard jello. Okay. It's it's, It's it's a cross between jello and like a gummy bear is it meant to be candy a candy ish or like a sweet like a dessert okay it's like a dessert it's a dessert that you have with like matcha and stuff like that it's really good it sounds terrible but it is delicious and i absolutely love it doesn't sound bad i they're like um this is a different part of asia but i'm thinking of like those teas you get at the vietnamese restaurants and they have like the Mm -hmm. you know they have like the beans in them Oh, gosh, this is not the right. Oh, so yes. it's like, that sounds familiar. Obviously, it's a different country. So it's yeah. different. But like, 
It's a sweet bean. And Japan is a big fan of the sweet bean called Uncle. Okay. And you can have it in like all different things. In mochi. They put it inside of mochi too. So basically those sweet beans get turned into like this jelly thing. And it's like, it's almost, it's like Turkish delight. It's the same firmness as Turkish well, delight. I, I've, I like that. I've had it before. Turkish delight. I don't eat yeah, it very yeah. often. but It doesn't taste like Turkish no. delight. But it's, but that it's kind the of same like, texture as Turkish okay, delight. I see. That doesn't sound gross. That sounds kind of cool. So yeah, she, her family thank, thank sold you. it. They were they were rich in that sweet bean those. money. <laughs> Sorry. They were they were living it large with the sweet bean money. <laughs> and she lived in Osaka. And from the time that she was 11, she was the main person responsible for that Yokan Sweets shop. Wow. She was businesswoman when yeah. she was a kid. She was. She was businesswoman when she was a kid. And she was super well-educated. She was well-read. Her dad had a huge library in the house. And she actually went to high school. She finished high school, which is not rare, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the norm at the time. So, yeah, when, when she was a kid, it wasn't super common for women to go and finish high school, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, she's going to high school. This is mind-blowing. But, yeah, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so she went to so school. She, did. she went to high school. <laughs> she went to school is what I'm saying. So she went to school, and while she was there, she was introduced to a type of poetry called Tanka. Okay. And do you know anything about Tanka poetry? No. I've never heard of it. It's it's like <laughs> I had never heard of it until I moved here. So Tanka poetry is basically a 31-syllable poem. It's like it's like haiku on steroids, basically. Wow. Okay. So 31-syllable poem traditionally written in one single line so one continuous sentence we're like shakespearean it up with the grammar in this wow bitch. like she was no big punctuation on to be found the poetry okay was she really good at it so good well depends on who you ask so <laughs> but we'll get to that so she had her first exposure to poetry in high school from this man called tenkan yosano and he would eventually be the man that she would marry. Okay. Big age difference? Only five <laughs> years age difference. Oh, but she was like, it's not that big of a deal. But she was mm. like between the age of 16 and 18 when they met. And he was like five mm. years older. Yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. be worse. It, it could okay. be worse. But that's how it was. That's, that's what happened. That's what happened. They met. He taught her Tonka poetry. She ended up being really freaking good at it. And so he started publishing her poetry in his magazine called The Myojo, which means Bright Star. And it was a full poetry magazine that came out, I think, monthly. I think it was a monthly poetry magazine and she started publishing her poetry in there and it started to take off people were into it they got married shortly after he started publishing her works in the myojo magazine and this is kind of when her poetry started to change so was she published under her own name like it was like she was she so they like knew she was a woman like because you know like some times in history like 
it was like a suit, like you know, a pin name or whatever. Yeah, and, like a they had to hide it. She was a woman, but she was like, yeah, it was like very oh, obvious me. that she was a lady. Okay, yeah, cool. it was very obvious that she was a lady. It her being a woman wasn't the controversial part because oh. women had been writing poetry in Japan for like literally a thousand years. Okay, so that wasn't she wasn't like the first probably. So she wasn't the first woman in Japan. She wasn't the first to write a poem. Uh, yeah. yeah. She wasn't the first woman to write a poem, but there was another first that we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay. Yes. Okay. I don't want to not spoil the excitement. Yes. <laughs> so we got to build up okay. to that. So after she gets married to Tekan and they move to Tokyo, she starts to realize that even though she was educated and she had books and access to the finer things in life because she was from an upper middle class merchant family she realized that her childhood was actually kind of awful because she yeah (laughs) oh it's like that audio on tiktok that's like i just realized i have a bad childhood exactly it is we know (laughs) oh okay that's so sad it's so sad because when she was a kid, even though she was able to go to school, she was never le- able to leave the house unaccompanied. She said in one of her many writings that she could count on her one hand the number of times she was able to go to someone else's house. So her like parents were, or maybe her just her father was like really strict? This was how it was usually for most middle upper class women in japan like so it wasn't just her no it wasn't just her but this was the norm for her and for all of the people in her life until she moved out of osaka where she was from to tokyo where things were like a little bit more liberal because you know big was a bigger city i'm assuming exactly they they tend to be more liberal faster Mm -hmm. so she goes okay like uh my life was real shit there's all these experiences that i just didn't have this isn't fair i'm super pissed about it i want to explore more life like i want to have more life experiences and her poetry starts to drastically change okay so it's like at this point she's like maybe her early 20s or like yeah, still in her she's teens. 24 okay. no she's okay. 24 when she got married so oh they did so wait. she a little That's, bit. Yeah. I'm glad she was like an adult when she got yeah, married. She, That's nice. <laughs> it's like a different, it, you know, it's it's different than some people I've covered where it's like she was married at 16. No. Okay. So right. she's like a, like a, in her mid 20s and she's like, I'm making a change. I want to do all the stuff that I never got to do because my parents were not fair. Sounds exactly. like. Exactly. Exactly. So what did she do? Well, she. Uh, started by having 13 kids. Um, Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> that seems like not the way to rebel, but like whatever you want to do. Like that's the point of feminism is to, you can do whatever you want, right? Exactly. Got more power to her. Okay. Right? Did So I'm like, oh my go ahead. gosh, that's like, must take her like a decade <laughs> or more, yeah, more a than long, a decade. Long time. Damn. So okay. she's having all these kids. And the reason she's having all these kids is because she's having all these sexual experiences with her husband. And okay. That makes sense. Living her life and exploring her sexuality. 
and she decides to write her first poetry book, her first Tonka poetry book. And it's, and it's called, just going to be hers. Her it's stuff. just hers. It's only Ooh, her okay. stuff. And it's called the Nidare Gami, which means tangled hair. And we'll put a picture in um, on all of the various social medias to show you what the cover of this book looks like because it's really pretty. It's it's super cute and I really like it. And the poem book called, we'll just call it The Tangled Hair so I don't have to keep switching between Japanese and English. Okay. <laughs> the Tangled Hair book contains 400 poems. And she wrote them all herself. Were these like all herself? Were these ones that she had written like when she was like back in as a teenager, or like brand new ones? Or yeah, a mix, I was, it wasn't really clear. I think it was a mix of all of them. Um, get out of here, cat! Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me in. I want so to be on the podcast. <laughs> he does. He wants to be on the podcast so bad. Um, no, he wants treats because he's <laughs> a little chunky monkey. But all of these poems were written by her. I'm not sure if it was a combination of like when she was younger and like now, but 400 poems are 400 poems. Like that is a lot, a lot. Right. of poetry going on at one time. And the thing about these poems, the time this this is the time where things get a little spicy. Okay, Ooh, okay, a little bit risque. So if you, dear listener. If you don't have headphones in, you might want to put some oh. headphones in. So this is like not safe for work. Like if you're on the train, is, don't play it out loud. Yes. We shouldn't do that anyway because that's rude. Exactly. But like. <laughs> exactly. You know. Exactly. So basically, she writes 400 love poems that went against traditional Japanese values and the way Japan at that time and like kind of now uh, mm. viewed women so women were meant to do housework have babies raise these babies especially boys it was very important that boys were raised and that there was lots of boys that sounds about right women yeah right (laughs) also in europe like everywhere else (laughs) par for the course Mm -hmm. with the history of humanity in general Mm, yes so women were not seen as sexual beings whatsoever like sex between men and women was also not seen as during this time as erotic. It was erotic back in the day, like in in the Heian period. Japan has like a very up and down relationship with sex and eroticism. Okay. So she went against this norm in this book. Exactly. She went against this norm in this book by talking about women's issues that were seen as inappropriate topics for public consumption. So how well would this book fit in if it was published like right now? People would fucking love it. And actually, there is a huge resurgence of people who are into Akiko Yosano's poetry because it was so revolutionary at the time. And as you know, the world is going through some changes right Mm -hmm. now with women's reproductive rights and women's mm-hmm. rights in general. Uh, does this book, did it translate well? To, I mean, I'm assuming when she wrote it, it was in Japanese, but like it's it's been translated yeah. into English and did it translate like well? 
Like, yeah, is it, it's. Okay. I mean, as well as like uh, it wasn't like Japanese horrible. poetry can be translated into okay. English. Okay, it's like it's like you get the story across. I guess is the yeah goal exactly. Is, you, but you, you get the story across. Right. So was it a hit? It w- well. Depends on who you ask. Oh, okay. <laughs> who should we ask? <laughs> we, definitely not the critics. So she wrote, um, let me find this quote from her book. Oh, okay. This is from the actual book, not a different, or is it different? Yes. Okay. So this is a quote from her Tangled Hair poetry book, the, the very first book that she published in 1901. So the quote from the poem goes, spring is short. What is there that has eternal life, I said, and made his hands seek out my powerful breasts. <laughs> Ooh, okay. And that was like shocking. Right. Oh my gosh. That was, people's timbers were shivered. Shiver me timbers. People were losing their minds. So she got it published, people were reading it, and and then they freaked out. And then they freaked out because this was the first time in history that somebody wrote about breasts in a tonka poem wow okay so then then what happened then what happened was the critics lost their minds and mind you the critics were men of course they're gonna lose they their were mind. Men. oh this woman uh, she exactly is sexual <laughs> is that what they did yeah yeah how dare you talk about your boobies <laughs> Those are only for making milk to raise boy sons is exactly what happened. How did her husband react? Did he, was he like, was her husband like, yeah. Into it. He (laughs) was into it. I'm glad. I'm glad he wasn't like. mixed feelings about her husband. Oh, okay. Never mind. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He, I don't know. I wasn't in their relationship, but we'll, we'll. We can have mm-hmm. a side tangent real quick. So in their relationship, he he was married when he met her mm-hmm. when she was in high school. Um, yeah. His, uh, Tekon is his name. So Tekon was married when he met Akiko. And um, he decided to leave his wife and then marry Akiko and leave his family behind. Oh, he had like, and, kids that he left uh, behind? That's... Sucks. Yeah, it was it was kind of vague on that. Um, I I couldn't find anything where it was like he explicitly left his kids, but he definitely left his wife. And then throughout their relationship, he cheated on Akiko a lot. He was quite. I know. I know. Of course. I know. And he would go on to cheat on her with his ex-wife that he left. For Akiko. Like, what? That's sad. I know. I know. I'm assuming it she, like, didn't sad. leave him. No, she didn't leave him because then the, I guess, I don't even say redeemable side because the, the bar is just set so low. He was so supportive of her career and her job. And he was, like, her secretary, basically. He did a lot of, like, publicity work for her and wrote to magazines and did outreach and anytime people sent like inquiries to her he 
replied back to them. He organized her like speaking events and articles that would get published and things like that. And he took care of the kids and took care of the house and took care of the cooking and cleaning because he was also a poet, but he stuck to the traditional Tonka poetry, which was stuffy and nobody could relate to anymore. (laughs) And so stopped becoming popular. And then Akiko was like, out here revolutionizing Tanka poetry and Japanese literary society and in general, and she just took off. So she was the breadwinner in the family. That's interesting. Because, so, like, he wasn't, like, threatened yeah. by her success, it doesn't sound like. Mm-mm. But I'm sure he's getting, like, no, like she's making money, so therefore he's making money. So he's probably benefiting in some way. But, like, I'm yeah. glad that he wasn't, like, oh, I'm jealous. Like, that's good, at least. Yeah. He, he wasn't a detriment to her career that's, but that's a, i wouldn't necessarily say yeah okay that's that bummer. he was like i yeah well, i don't know can't, so okay well uh, let's go past that because it's kind of sad so she yeah. published the book it is kind of sad the critics were like we don't like <laughs> this published- but did the women of yes. japan like it how did they react lost their minds in the best way in the best way oh so this is like like Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah. is it like that? <laughs> like just like <laughs> exactly, people or some version of that. Lost, the regular people, not the literary critics, lost their mind because they were finally like, "Oh my god, somebody sees the problems that women are facing in society, and somebody is finally making it okay to be." full human being as a woman in Japanese society during this time like you're allowed to be a mother and a sexual creature at the same time these two things are not mutually exclusive and that's what Akiko did with this book wow so did she sell like a whole bunch of copies I'm assuming a whole bunch of copies that's great okay so she wrote the book people loved it she's super rich probably maybe she made so much money but the critics were still just hounding after her and I want I've got to tell you what this one critic said so there is this guy named uh Nobutsuna Sasaki Nobutsuna Sasaki And he was a critic and a writer himself. And in a magazine article, he accused her of corrupting public morals and, quote, mouthing obscenities fit for a whore. Oh, my gosh. What a jerk. This sounds sounds like someone who, like, reminds me of, I don't know, I don't have one in mind, but like, like maybe a female comedian who's like her stand-up is yeah. like you know like pointing out like toxic mexican masculinity yes. or something like that and some jerk is like well she's just a skank like or some bullshit like that. that's what it sounds like. exactly <laughs> it's happened over and over and over again and it will probably continue to happen mm-hmm. for a long time yes. from now which is so annoying so <sighs> the critics were attacking not only her art but also herself and her personal life and her relationship with her husband and everything. So it was just, it was awful. But the people didn't care. The regular people didn't care. And her poetry changed the idea of nudity and the way Japanese society viewed eroticism and female sexuality. Completely 
changed it. Totally revolutionized. I know. Good for her. And so after her hit book, her first hit book, she made lots of money. She gained notoriety. And then she started doing outreach things to try to help the women of Japan. And she founded the Bunka Gakuin, which is the Institute of Culture, which was originally an all-girls school for young girls and women to go to to study and learn the arts and learn what old stuffy men had been gatekeeping for so long. Wow, okay. And she helped other women writers break into the business and she was a lifelong advocate for women's education. She also translated Japanese classic literature into modern Japanese because classic Japanese and modern Japanese I would say are even more different than like like Shakespearean English and modern English right now. It's oh. so different. Crazy That's great. Different. So then like the average Japanese person could probably hope I don't know what the literacy rate was, but like they'd access this information. Basically. Yeah, yeah. They could access this information. And she was just all about taking down these gatekeepy walls that I I have a huge problem with academia sometimes and how many paywalls there are. Oh, and yes. It's so no, frustrating. Because, you know, I'm in a PhD program and the big problem is, like, getting access to, like, scholarly, like, um, peer-reviewed articles, like a scholarly article. Yeah. And if there's been somewhat of, what, of a shift um mm-hmm. that's like starting to happen at least like in our fields i don't know what the rest of the fields that are like going for like public a- access journals because the mm-hmm. author doesn't get anything from like the public from the uh journal just yeah. publish their journal so like yes like just heads up like if some like you were to like need an access to an article and you couldn't find it you could try emailing that article that author and they could easily they probably would send it to you for free because like they have that that's it's that's a i'm pretty sure it's allowed but like that happens because they don't get anything from the publication but hot there's a huge from taylor oh yeah there's a huge huge issue with like that kind of like you don't have you have to be at a university because like we get access Mm. through it because of the school that i go to because we have like i can log in and get it but like otherwise all these papers i can't download so yeah. that's a huge – that's a problem now. It's such a big problem. It's, it it's, is. It's, it's very such obnoxious. a big problem. So that is one of the things that she did, and she was trying to give more people, specifically women, access to all of these things. Like, have you ever heard of The Tale of Genji? What is it about? I don't know. Man. I'm, that sounds vaguely familiar. The Tale of Genji is the very mm-hmm. first novel ever written. The very yeah. first one. And it was written by Murasaki uh, Shikibu, who was a woman. So a woman was the one who wrote the very first novel in the history of novels. And now now she's helping it be available by translating it. That sounds so full circle. (laughs) It's so full circle. So the first novel ever written was written by a woman. And then this woman, Yosano Akiko, comes along and is like, let me make this available to other women. And she translated it from classic Japanese into modern Japanese. So did it, did this help the people, like the women of Japan, like during her lifetime? 
Yes, yes. The women of Japan had more access to all of these classic pieces of literature, which I I hesitate to use classic literature because what is classic literature? <laughs> so- <laughs> no, there was that woman on TikTok. Did you see those videos? I, I saw like, her. You don't read classic literature. I'm like, uh oh. And then everyone everyone went after her. I'm like, yes. damn. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna stay over here. She'll come after us corner. if you say literature. Yeah. Classic like, literature. Watching the drama. No. I know. No. So yes, she helps translate these classic pieces of literature and she's just killing it with women in education. And then the Uh Russo-Japanese War starts in 1904. Well, I think I know about this because of, you know, obviously Japan and Russia. And at that time, Nicholas II was the, the czar of Russia who was married to... Queen Empress Alexandria, or Alex, Alexandria? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who was the granddaughter of Queen Victoria? And yeah. that was the mother of Anastasia, or Anastasia. Yeah. So I believe that Russia lo- like lost majorly. <laughs> That's did. what I believe from this they, war. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was not a good time. Not a good time at all. Um, <clears throat> because uh, Russia had, like, one of the... Um, quotes is like it was a humiliating peace or something like that the end of oh. the russo-japanese war was a humiliating peace for the russians it was like it was really embarrassing for the czar like it was really bad yeah it was super That's bad I know about it, though. japan was a, i mean it's still a, a tiny little island who had just barely opened up to the rest of the world and then they came out guns ablazing and they were like mm-hmm fight russia which is a huge freaking country <laughs> huge russia is humongous <laughs> exactly and so they were just coming on over and the imperial army was like we're gonna fuck shit up me and they did they truly truly did so uh cool. and akiko had a, a problem with this as she should because oh yeah the imperial army did some shysty things so Uh japan's imperial army had a history of suicide missions so the and and after yes like because you think of like world war ii Mm -hmm, exactly so the everybody knows well not everybody a, a lot of people know about the kamikaze pilots that would fly into battleships and into pearl harbor and things like that yeah and even before world war ii in 1904 the imperial army had like basically suicide bombers and they went to uh port arthur and the imperial army had young men strap explosives to themselves run up against the barbed wire fence or or whatever like barrier that there was at uh port arthur explode themselves and have the rest of the army or whatever come in in that area oh my gosh i know and when akiko found out about this she was pissed as shit so pissed oh yeah so pissed in fact that she started to criticize the emperor which at this oh my gosh that's not i imagine that's a bad idea oh my gosh that'd be like insulting the king you know and like whatever other country it's worse because at this time the emperor 
was considered a god, directly descended from the goddess Amaterasu. And so all of the emperors in Japanese history were, up until the end of World War II, were considered to be gods. They were living gods. So for Akiko to go up against a living god was basically like suicide for her like it was oh my gosh. not did, a good choice the, did, did uh the government like do anything because she was protesting like were they yeah. like I'm, I'm assuming they weren't very happy no no they were not happy so what led up le- we'll, we'll rewind just a little bit so in september of 1904 um akiko learned about the things that the imperial army were doing at port arthur in the battle against the Russians and that they were using young men to explode holes into the barbed wire fence. And she was upset. Number one, because this is super fucked up. And then number two, because her brother, her younger brother was in the Imperial army and she knew that his personality was so impulsive that he would volunteer for this. And it wasn't just that his personality was impulsive there was a code called Bushido, and it was the highest honor for a man to die for the emperor. Like, a death for the emperor in service of the emperor, that's the greatest thing that you could possibly aspire to as a man. Was this like a, quote, volunteer, or would, like, they have had a choice to do this? Because, like, can I say no? Can they say no? Like, could he, like, refuse? No. Because, like, so, okay, yeah. I didn't think so. No, no. So there were volunteers, and then there were voluntolds. Oh, my gosh. During, during this time. So, so was her brother voluntold? No. Thankfully, okay, he was not. <laughs> but before the end of the uh, Russo-Japanese War, she wrote a poem directed towards her brother but published it for the whole country called an an open letter to her brother (laughs) exactly exactly so the poem was called kimi shintamo koto nakare which i'm gonna have rin come in here and say this so that we can actually have a a good pronunciation okay (laughs) rin's gonna pronounce it really quick this Mm. one right here Okay, perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, great. So now we know. She. This was her open letter to her brother. Her open poem. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rin, for pronouncing that really hard name. Uh, (laughs) So in English, the poem is called "Thou shalt not die." And in this open letter to her brother, but also to, like, the public, Akiko attacks the central concept of Bushido, and she said that the greatest honor for a man is to die for the emperor, but she sarcastically says that the emperor has never put himself in harm's way only expecting others to die for him Uh so basically she's saying like what kind of great honor is it to die for a man who's never done anything to 
actually put himself in danger for his people. He just expects other people to die for him. People lost their minds. In like a bad people way. People lost their or, minds. Or in, in, in a good? In a bad way and a good way. Okay. It's the running theme with her. People were upset about it. People were also not upset about it. And yeah, so let's, let's, let's go through it. So she wrote another book called uh, Kimi. So from that poem, she created a whole book. And in it, she was basically just like taking a piss on the emperor and the war and imperialism and the Bushido code and the whole idea of just war in general. She was like, this is shit. The emperor is shit. Everybody's shit. So, if like, we shouldn't have war. Why do we have war? We don't need this. And people... Oh, my gosh. Critics, critics and non-critics hated it. It was really polarizing. And the people who hated it really, really hated it. People were so upset about this that they started stoning her house. Oh, my gosh. And they would, like... If they saw her in the streets, they would, like, verbally attack her. She was afraid for her life. It was just, it was no good. It was not a good time for her. And she even, like, on multiple occasions, she got into these heated debates with journalists and critics. And there was one critic who kind of took her poetry as a reason to support um what is it the opposite of free speech to support Uh, censorship censorship so he was like look at this woman out here doing all this morally ambiguous stuff with her sexy poetry and now she's outright criticizing our god emperor we shouldn't allow people to just say whatever they want they got into a heated debate on whether poets had a duty to support the war and therefore the emperor so remember this remember this heated debate because it's gonna some things happen later on so the war is only one year it goes from 1904 to 1905 i think it it might even be less than a year but anyways the war is over she goes back to her feminist radicalism and kind of the war stuff is on the back burner right now and she starts to focus on women's rights and feminism she's considered to be the first feminist poet in japan which is really cool and in 1911 she published the poem the day the mountains move and it was basically asking for women to be given equal rights. She goes on to support mothers and women, uh, women that have children who are mothers. Um, <laughs> that's what a mother is. <laughs> so she, she was a big advocate for women not only being seen as mothers. So she herself was a mother of 13. Only 11 of her children lived until adulthood, but still that's yeah, 11. That's a lot. It's 11 children. Exactly. And she didn't want women to think that giving birth was 
the main part of their identity. Okay. Or even a large part of their gen- identity in in general. And I, I'm saying women because she's like she talked about women in the way that people in the 1900s talked about women. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I'm not saying that women are only people that can have babies, and not all. Wh- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not all women can have not babies, all, and not all people that are have women. babies are exactly. women. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So just want to put that out there. That is not what right. I'm saying. I'm speaking in the context of the age and what she thought. So just putting <laughs> that out there. Anyways. So she wanted women to feel like giving birth was only a very, very small part of their identity, which I'm yeah. so down for. Having the option to not make that your whole mm-hmm. life is what she wanted, is what she was advocating for. She did such amazing work, such good philanthropy work, such amazing work for women to get more education, to get more freedom, to get more liberation. But then comes World War II. Uh Okay, that's not good. Okay, so what happens next? So, (sighs) when people get old, I feel like something happens to their brain. Oh, no. Okay? Not everybody. (laughs) Not everybody. But a lot of people. So I'm guessing she got more conservative then. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. So remember how she was basically flipping the bird to the emperor, the god God emperor? Did I take it back? (sighs) She did. She took it all back. Uh, Yes. Uh, So, Okay. During the Taisho okay. period, which is from the 1912 to 1926, with the Emperor Taisho, okay, Japan goes to war, right? Mm-hmm. World War One. One. I'm sorry, not World War Two. Yeah. Excuse me. World War Not one. World War Two. I take everything back. <laughs> World War One. So World War One, she turns a complete 180 and is all about siding with. The Imperial Army in attacking China. Japan goes to war with China, right? And they have the, what is it? The Sino-Japanese War, I think is what it is. Yeah, that sounds right. And Japan invades China and starts doing all of their colonizer stuff, right? And... She, Akiko does the opposite of what she did during the Russo-Japanese War. And she is in total support of the government. She says that it's so, the the young men of Japan's duty to fight for the emperor and that we should go and conquer China. And basically, she uses the Bushido code the the samurai's way i know in her poetry to be like this is the end all be all this is the thing that all young men need to aspire to so she's kind of a hypocrite she's such a hypocrite at the end of her life and she supports all of the dumb shit that emperor taisho is doing in china and it's so did she have like was there some kind of bias against china that she had could i explain it maybe maybe it's biased against china maybe in her old age she's like uh you know what 
I was wrong about everything, but it's such a it's such a one eighty on everything that she stood for before that. Hmm. And and sorry, in World War Two, uh oh, she supports against the Americans and the United Kingdom. Oh no, she's all about it. She's all about war and it being people's duty to go to war and fight for Japan and fight bravely for the emperor and she even called it the sacred war she used phrases like a samurai's uh, honor a sacred war fight bravely thing all these things that all these phrases that she would have never used in her poetry from just a few years back and a lot of people who study her like are really wow. taken aback by these very like well-known Japanese like um, nationalistic phrases that she uses. And it's just so weird. It's so weird. She goes from being basically a freedom love child to promoting militarism and praising militarism, but also promoting her feminist viewpoints. So she's, she's still a feminist at heart, but she totally just is all about fighting wars and stuff. She kept writing poetry for years and years and years, and she actually died in 1942 in the middle of World War II. Okay. Right, right in, in the, the middle war. of okay. the war. And her very last poem is a poem praising her son who is serving as a lieutenant in the Imperial Navy. And she encourages him to fight bravely for the emperor in the sacred war. Hmm. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So in 19, that's the last poem she ever writes. And in 1942, she dies at the age of 63 because of a stroke. And it's right in the middle of World War – well, not in the – well, kind of in the middle of World War II. It basically goes unnoticed. Her death goes unnoticed because – when you're in the middle of the second war and this random poet lady dies, like it's, it's, yeah, it's not going to make national news. Okay. It's not going to be on the cover of any magazines. All right. So she dies <laughs> and basically her works are largely yeah. forgotten by critics and the public because they're, you know, focusing on rebuilding a country that's just been fucked up by the United States. Busy. <laughs> Rightfully yeah. so. We, we it's not really a time for remembering dead yeah. poets at that moment. So yeah, one who was promoting the war. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So basically, for you know about five years, her poetry is just completely lost, and nobody talks about it. But then in the nineteen fifties, when Japan has kind of rebuilt and they're starting over again. Her book, Kimi, the one that was criticizing the war, is made ah. mandatory reading in Japanese high schools. Wow. Yeah. And to <laughs> maybe this will, like, make you feel better because it makes me feel better. During protests led by university students against the government, her book Kimmy and her poem to her brother was kind of used as a rallying cry like a thing that all of these university students could you know come together and use as a, like a morale booster to 
fight what the government was doing at the time. And Gosh, I yeah. wonder how much she would hate that because <laughs> she went well, pro war. She's like, damn it, they used right. the wrong book. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if she would like it. I don't know if she would hate it. But now, That's crazy. yeah. So now that her book has been distributed to a bunch of countries and translated into hundreds of different languages. Her books, her feminist books are, and her poems are used as a rallying point by women and feminists all over the world. And her grave wow. at Tama Cemetery in Fuchu, Tokyo, has become kind of like a little pilgrimage spot for feminists <laughs> from all around the world. So that is the story of Yasano Akiko, the woman who gave the middle finger to the emperor but then took it back. <laughs> wow that was not the ending that i expected right yeah but not in a good way no okay <laughs> yeah that was i had never heard of i don't i could not name one japanese female or male poet so yeah <laughs> now i have one yes i like it. yay <laughs> put it in your pocket pull it out on trivia night <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our episode today. We are so excited to bring you bite-sized stories of women's history every Tuesday. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform and share this episode with your history BFF. Join us next time when we talk about Mary Anning, the paleontologist. 